And howdy. Welcome to another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. So far, you know me as the guy doing NHL redrafts. And I know some folks have been asking, are you going to do anything else? And I certainly don't want to pigeonhole myself into this. So I'm really happy to have on friend, fantasy competitor, and colleague, the capped writer for DauberHockey.com, Alex McLean. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Steve. Thanks. How are you? I am doing splendid. TGIF. Can say that again. Yeah, every but every day is Friday for us right now. Every day feels like Friday anyway. <laughs> no question. So you had a interesting series of articles on the Seattle expansion draft. You might even say that you were cracking into some interesting ideas. If you uh, Seattle, what I'm doing there. I got you and I don't have time to come up with a good response for it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so like under appreciating that we're so far out from the expansion draft mm -hmm. things are definitely going to look much more different next june when that expansion draft takes place i think we've got some stuff to iron out but how thankful do you think seattle management and the nhl head office are that they decided to push the seattle expansion back an extra year to buy themselves some time not seeing this pandemic coming, but ultimately now that we're dealing with it, like imagine they had to deal with how are we going to fit in our expansion draft and unveiling this new team on top of everything else that they're trying to figure out right now. I would be a whole other level to what we have going on at the moment. And even with just trying to get the season back underway and sort out everything in terms of possible neutral venues to get something done through the summer and looking ahead to the draft and how that's going to work. It's a crazy undertaking even with that and throwing in the whole Seattle wrench would just make a massive, massive thing. So I think everybody's uh, looking in the mirror and saying, wow, we got, uh, we got lucky on that one. Yeah. Thank goodness. Cause I, I would have to think that, they might have been forced to push expansion back a whole extra year because of this. Cause frankly, like we don't even know when 2021 season is coming. And with that in mind, what is your best guess at what the cap environment looks like next season, whenever it happens to start? I know uh, there were a few people looking into how the hockey the actual hockey revenue affects the salary cap and written into the CBA, it's directly correlated. So taking out the, whatever it is, 1 billion, 1.3 billion from the revenue would massively drop the cap for next year if they didn't change anything. So I think they're going to have to change something because they don't want uh, something in the $60 million range, which would just tank a lot of teams and really make a lot of uh, teams either have to buy out larger contracts that don't make sense to be bought out or who knows what. But uh, I think 
in the end, we're definitely not going to see an increase. I think uh, something in the range of what we had this past season, whether it's finding a way to kind of fudge the numbers and keep an 82 or an $81.5 million cap, or even if it goes down to about 80 million, I think most teams should be able to make things work. Um, With that though, I think the likelihood is pretty high that we do see some kind of compliance buyout uh, window just to make teams a little bit uh, more willing to accept the fudging of the numbers for the cap and to kind of allow for a little bit of flexibility with the unexpected lack of a raise in the ceiling. Yeah. And if we start throwing compliance buyouts into the mix, that is just going to completely change the landscape. And I mean, it's going to make projecting any expansion drafting impossible for us. So uh, knock on wood that we don't end up in that situation. And hopefully they can come back and recoup at least a certain percentage of those billions that are being cost. And I really hope I think I think a lot of the players understand that they are stakeholders in the league as well. Like as much as it, we kind of see players versus owners and a lot of us would side with the player side because they're the ones who put on the entertainment for us. At the end of the day, everyone is invested in making a ton of money off of the, the fans and, you know, the games that are actually played which is what gives me so much encouragement that we will see some resumption of the season because there's so much money for everyone to make if they do come back between the league itself, the owners and the players, as well as the, uh, the TV stations that would be able to get that ad revenue from what could be a really dense playoff situation with not a whole heck of a lot going on otherwise to compete with. And you, you brought up the compliance buyouts and I noticed that you already did a piece on some potential compliance buyouts. And I think we can all wrap our head around the most obvious guys to buy out. Most of which are those summer of 16 guys, but Are there any buyout situations that jumped out as intriguing where there's either like a really large debate to be had over which player to buy out or is there a player who, my God, they just signed this guy like Bobrovsky and would you, would you already want to buy him out one year into a seven year mega million buck deal? I think uh, it's a good point. Starting with Bob, he's a tough one to buy out just after the first year. We know he's had some ups and downs in the fir- in his career. So I think he's the kind of guy that you have to give the benefit of the doubt. You gave him all that much money for some reason, anyways. Uh, I think he's a no for a buyout, even though Florida doesn't really have another bad contract to really want to get off their books there's some people that are looking at him as 
kind of the worst bargain on the Florida team, but uh, I'm not sure I'm ready to trust either Chris Dreiger or Sam Motombo as the main goalie there. And I don't think Spencer Knight's ready to step in either. So they would, if they bought out Sergei Bobrovsky, have to bring in somebody else as a replacement, which makes buying out goalies really tough. Yeah, but there are some interesting goalies who could be hitting free agency and in a different cap environment, maybe you can get them in on one or two years to bridge that gap and you just kind of take your lumps. Like they were already looking to cut salary even before we got into a pandemic. So I think that he has to be considered a really strong candidate, even though you wouldn't want to throw all that money away. You would save yourself potentially a lot of headaches down the line. You make a good point there with them wanting to cut uh, salary. And I think they do have a few players coming up that they probably won't want to extend, whether they can fit in of getting Dadanov or Mike Hoffman. But uh, I think the other side of that is Florida is one of the lower teams on the ladder in terms of revenue. So I would say since the compliance buyouts require that the team still pays out the contract, as far as I'm aware anyways, then taking him off the cap books, but leaving him on the actual kind of we still have to pay him actual dollars. I yeah, don't he's still on the salary ledger then. Yeah, I don't know how tempted Florida would be to be paying him $10 million not to play for their team. Yeah, you raise a good point there. They, they may be quite reticent to basically, yeah, pay him $10 million in hush money to, <laughs> to go away, no longer, yeah. no longer cause us these headaches. And, you know, you mentioned his ups and downs, and he did start coming on stronger in the second half of the season. And frankly, that wasn't a very good defensive system after coming from a really strong one in right. Columbus. So I'm I'm arguing both sides of this one. So maybe we'll we'll jump out on Bob Rob, on Bob Rovsky. Any other situations that jumped out as you as highly intriguing as potential compliance buyouts? I think there's two other ones that uh, we can stick with the goalies on for now that uh, I found interesting. One of them being New Jersey and the other being San Jose. Uh, New Jersey has Corey Schneider, who hasn't really lived up to his contract and ended up in the minors at certain points this season. So New Jersey's already basically been playing paying him not to play for their team so really that wouldn't change much the Nets already Mackenzie Blackwoods but the other option for them is would they rather get rid of the nine million of PK Subban there's some pros and cons to either end there but uh, that's one that I kind of look at and see they have two options there that either one could make sense depending on what kind of direction they want to take. I don't know if you have any thoughts on either of them. Yeah. With PK, I think they are vested enough or it's realistic enough that he could have a bounce back 
that they would want to keep him around and the money with him isn't very long term whereas schneider's basically he's just a dead cap hit sitting on there for them so it'd be really easy they could be the type of team that just doesn't even use one um but the reason that they would is to clear out some space so that they can be active in a time when not many other teams have money because they are still sitting in a pretty decent situation cap wise where they're well under the cap even considering a couple of albatrosses on the books Mm -hmm. and that's how they ended up bringing in suban last year was because they had that kind of cap space to weaponize and take on a lesser contract or lesser value contract anyway that's kind of overpaid but they could manage it for somebody they thought would improve their team so exactly freeing up one of those off the books would give them the flexibility to try something similar anyways yeah and they don't want to waste the cheap years of jack hughes and whomever they end up drafting with a high pick this year as well so there's there's a brief window here where they could get really competitive if the cap takes a dive and they're one of the few teams with some money to spend. Yeah, I think uh, if they were able to bring in another blue liner three to kind of hold things up, and that would definitely make a big difference for them. Yeah, and probably someone to to bridge the gap a little bit because they do have some strong defenseman prospects coming on the way. But you mentioned San Jose and Mm. I would have to imagine that Martin Jones is heavily under scrutiny for a compliance bio. Would that possibility come up? And then I guess the other option is Mark Edward Vlasic who turned into a pumpkin basically a year into what is I think an eight year seven million dollar a year extension yeah those were the two names that I had on my list and you're right on the contract it is eight years seven million a year and he's only in year two so that's uh, gotten really ugly really fast yeah and I think that the only reason that you might see them stick with a guy like Vlasic is, I don't know, maybe the hope that before that contract is out that he LTIRs himself and the problem kind of takes care of itself. Whereas with Jones, it's like 5 million a year to be terrible in net. Yeah. And it's, it's tough to hide a goalie. And they would really like to be spending that money on someone who actually can stop pucks for them. Cause right now their tandem is not beefing up a team that has really kind of fallen apart defensively and Vlasic falling off is certainly a part of that. So erasing either one of those contracts probably solves a lot of problems for their frankly awful goals against situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, as much as Vlasic's contract is one that they would love to have off the books at this point, I think Martin Jones ends up being the odd man out if they do get a compliance buyout that they can play around with. 
And as you mentioned earlier, there are a few options coming into free agency this year. I would personally love to see Robin Leonard get a chance with them as able somebody able to deal with a lot of shots on net in a game and somebody who had success down in California for a couple of weeks after the trade deadline and he ended up in Vegas for the stretch run anyway. Yeah, I just briefly got to experience Robin Lehner in the Pacific Division. And frankly, I, I would like to see him leave the Pacific Division because I don't need him tormenting the Oilers for more than two games a year. So <laughs> let's give them a landmine like Braden Holtby instead and see how that works out for them. Um <laughs> A couple other situations that I thought were really interesting and maybe they're just very obvious, but Mm -hmm. Minnesota having the dueling contracts with Parise and Mm. Suter stand out to me as which one are you going to get rid of? And also, would you even do that? I think they both look very appetizing as compliance buyout options because their contracts backdive so you can clear that cap off the books and you're not actually paying out that much money in terms of the salary offset Mm -hmm. what i wonder with those contracts is they're ones that if either parise or Suter were to retire early there's recapture penalties associated with them so if you were to buy them out at this point would that end up meaning that the recapture penalties would be applied by the NHL? My assumption is that they would eliminate those recaptures because it's a compliance buyout. But I may be wrong. Yeah, and it's not something I've had a chance to look into or really think about much either, but just another side of it to consider. I agree, they're both... uh, They're both intriguing ones that I'm sure the new GM, Bill Guerin, would be very happy to get off the books as he did try to unload Parise onto the Islanders at the deadline. Um, The other contract, though, not nearly as bad, but just another name to throw out there is the dead weight that uh, Victor Rask has been recently. And maybe you're hoping or kind of have a plan that Zach Parise and Ryan Suter go on LTIR at some point, but uh, Victor Rask has kind of been dead weight since he got swapped for Nino Niederreiter. Yeah, Parise and Suter are still highly effective players at this stage. So the only reason you would want to get rid of them is to eliminate some of that compliance, or sorry, that uh, cap recapture risk and get a really big cap hit off your books where you might not have to spend as much. But yeah, like Rask is, he's kind of an obvious, like you shoot that one down and you clear 4 million for, I think he's got what, one year left after this one? Two years left after this one. Yeah, so that'd be, you know, minimal pain for for some decent gain. It it would certainly give them uh, enough wiggle room should the cap fall. And just on the cap recapture penalty situation, it's also been widely rumored that in the next CBA, they're going to get rid of that thing entirely. So it's Mm -hmm. basically just Vancouver got screwed by it. Even when New Jersey 
did that illegal contract with Kovalchuk. Mm-hmm. They ended up going back on their punishments and like lessening the fines and they gave them a first rounder back and it was all just like really dumb and heavy handed and the NHL just being pissed off that they left a massive error in their CBA <laughs> that yeah. teams could exploit and they got really mad about it and they're really stupid for having done that because I, I don't think it would have taken like it didn't take GMs very much time at all to start exploiting that loophole. Um, that Which brings us to one more uh, potential guy on that front, Montreal. Do you get rid of either Price or Weber with a compliance buyout? I, I think they're a little too invested in uh, those two players right now and trying to compete around them. So... I think uh, Bergevin, or assuming Bergevin is still there, I think they're digging their feet in and just keeping things, trying to move forward, trying to be competitive, trying to kind of build on the fly. They have a few good young players coming up, and I don't really see it as much as I do with the Minnesota contracts. I just don't feel like there's as much urgency to get one of those names off the books yeah but you mentioned them being so invested in those two and it's because they're literally financially invested in those two (laughs) they can't get rid of them they're they're dug in so deep but it's like this is your opportunity you don't actually have to try to compete now with a team that's otherwise not ready to do so if you eliminate those massive expenditures that are basically compelling them to try to take advantage of the fact that they're spending so much like it's they're damned if they do they're damned if they don't yeah if if you were to buy one of them out would you rather keep Carey price until he's 38 or shea weber until he's 40 i mean you're basically asking me if I'd like to fall off a cliff to my death or drown in a puddle of mud because I don't like either of those. (laughs) I would probably stick with Shea Weber because he is aging like a fine wine, whereas Price, I mean, every goaltender seems to get beat up by the time they hit their mid to late 30s. We're seeing it even with Corey Schneider now, and he's he's an early case, but Price has been dealing with quite a few injuries. I think I think if you were to drop the axe, it would probably be on his head, even though he's been the face of the franchise since the moment they drafted him, what, fifth overall in the Crosby draft? I think you're right. It was fifth. Yeah, so it's been... It's been 15 great years and not all of them where he really lived up to the hype and his potential, but he had some awesome seasons. He's got a heart trophy on his name. I mean, that contract was regrettable before it even kicked in. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one to look back on now knowing what we do. And that seems to be the way with a lot of the larger, longer term contracts that, a lot of them, you definitely see it with hindsight, but 
most of them you can see it as soon as they're signed. Yeah, those two years into it, you're going to be thinking, okay, how do we manage these next six years? How do we get rid of this guy? For sure. And so there, there's a few more that stood out to me where you've got a summer of 16 guy versus a guy that we just signed and it already seems like it's quite burdensome. So <clears throat> in Buffalo, would you spend some of that Terry Pegula money to get rid of Jeff Skinner's brand new deal? Or do you just take the obvious and, and clear off a couple of years of Kyle Ocposo? Kyle Ocposo's actually had, uh, he hasn't been that bad. I mean, maybe I'm just comparing him to the other guys that signed that same summer with Milan Lucic and Louis Erickson, but he he's not worth the $6 million he's being paid, but he's been more serviceable than Jeff Skinner, at least, this past season. So, I don't know. If Buffalo wants to decide that they're going to stick Skinner on the first line for an entire season with Jack Eichel, then he could at least come close to living up to the $9 million and I'd be happy letting Kyle Ocposo walk. But if they're going to do what they did this season and juggle him around the lineup and see as much time on the third line as the first line, then he's not going to bring enough value to be worth it. So he would end up being the odd one out with that one. Yeah, and if the Sabres were to throw the compliance <clears throat> buyout at Jeff Skinner, he probably goes and signs a one-year deal with someone. And mm. what do you put the over-under at goals for him in that year? 30. <laughs> I was thinking like 45. He's just yeah. going to go apeshit. I, I could see it, yeah. And then and then cash in again. Um, another one that jumped out, you mentioned him, Louis Erickson. Would you get rid of him for the Canucks? Or would you get rid of Tyler Myers? And I mean, I'll say this, I think that at this stage, they don't have any regrets about Tyler Myers. They're happy right. with him. So they would almost certainly do Louis Erickson in this situation. Mm -hmm. But just the thought experiment, what would you do knowing that Myers probably isn't as good as what a lot of people might think? Yeah another one of those cases of give it another two years and where do we think he's going to be at and with the depth that Vancouver has on defense otherwise with Hughes, Stetcher, Tanev, Edler they say Yulevi's coming along though that's been said for a few years now but with uh, a couple other guys coming up in the minors I think they've got Rafferty and maybe Jet Wu in a couple of years it's a little easier to see Tyler Myers getting replaced. They're kind of, they've dealt with most of Louis Erickson's contract at this point anyways. And after this season, he only has two years left. I think if they could get a free pass on Tyler Myers and put half of that towards a similar defenseman that they can pay two and a half million and then put the other three and a half towards uh, helping re-sign Tyler to fully then that would probably be the way I would look to go anyway. You see, you're far too logical with this. you got to put yourself into the mind <laughs> of 
the Canucks. No. Um, so putting myself into the mind of an NHL GM, you probably look at it and you say, okay, we'll just buy out Jordy Ben. We'll keep Louis Erickson. That makes sense. <laughs> right. Um, so what type of impact do you think that the cap environment, whether or not there are compliance buyouts, but what, what is that going to do to this summer's UFA class, the big guns, Petrangelo, Hall, Markstrom, Krug, even down to Bufflin if he decides to come back, and, and the Florida guys that you mentioned before? Yeah, it's, it's tough to know because we don't know exactly how the end of the season is going to shake out. We don't know what the cap's going to be next year. It's, it's a tough situation. Um, we're not looking at a class that has a really top tier guy like Artemi Panarin. I, I don't see Taylor Hall being at that same level. He's a tier or so below him. So people expecting Taylor Hall to get an eight digit annual cap hit. I don't think that was the case, even if things stayed as they were, um, with but, I mean, the, he has that heart trophy, right? He does, but, uh, I mean, you look at the rest of his season, rest of his career, and I don't know. I, I just don't see it. Maybe it's just me, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that we kind of know that he's... Right. Like, he, he's maybe falling off a little bit, and that he's not quite at Panarin's level and Panarin's hit like this whole extra level. Cause like, remember mm -hmm. he wasn't this hundred point guy coming out of Columbus mm -hmm. he was a lot closer in line with what Hall was scoring at and Hall already has an MVP trophy. Like as much as he hasn't played up to that in any other year, people are going to see he's got that potential. He's still in his twenties. Like I really thought that he was headed towards a Panarin-like contract this summer. Yeah, I I think I was expecting him to be in the kind of nine up to ten million range, depending on who was bidding for him. But uh, all in all, I don't really see the top tier players taking too much of a hit. I could still see Taylor Hall ending up with nine million somewhere maybe 10 if you've got uh, somebody like uh, I guess New Jersey with all their cap hit or if Detroit decides they want to spend a lot of the money they have coming off their books or Buffalo if they decide to compliance buy out Jeff Skinner and give that all to Taylor Hall he could still end up in that uh, range but it'll be the kind of the second third down to the depth guys that end up getting the biggest hits and I think it'll be more with term than it will be with actual annual dollars that we see the effect there will be a lot more uh shorter contracts expecting the cap to go up a lot faster in future years we might see players who would have gotten five six years maybe they say yeah I'll just take two years and then re-up again when I'm 29 go from there get a much bigger deal next time do you think that's for the star players as well, or just those those next tier down guys? 
I, I don't see the star players deciding they need to kind of take the hit. I think with Taylor Hall, Alex Petrangelo, probably Taylor, or sorry, Tori Krug as well, they'll probably look and say, yeah, it might be two or three teams bidding on me instead of four or five, but I can still get my seven-year contract at a similar cap hit to what I was looking for, and I'll just take that and I'm happy. Yeah, and I think Pierre Lebrun's been doing some interviews with those guys, and I believe Taylor Hall and Petrangelo have both indicated their preference to go for long-term security, even considering the environment, which I guess maybe they'll look at those Tavares-esque type contracts because we aren't in, in the new CBA where we, do, we aren't in an environment where those aren't possible of doing. So they might just go for the, the lockout-proof, buyout-proof style contract where it's mm-hmm. almost entirely signing bonus. And so they're going to be able to get paid basically whatever they want. And even if escrow is 50% next year, they'll, they'll still get their money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely another side of it that you could have uh, the teams that are able to offer that, such as the bigger market ones, whether it's uh, Chicago, if they can get some money off their books, Toronto doesn't really have the space, but uh, I can't really think of the bigger market ones that would have space, but there probably are a couple you could look into that might be able to take advantage of that and load up with an extra big fish in the free agent frenzy anyway the rangers actually might have the cap space to do it again especially if they end up uh getting lung fist off their books a year early yeah that's that's a very intriguing possibility because certainly <laughs> this summer proved they are a destination <laughs> and i mean panarin got paid an absolute fuck stack of money but he still took a, a bit of a haircut on top of what he, he, he could have been making. And I think you throw the Islanders in there as another team that went big game hunting this past summer and could be looking to make a splash. Um, what do you think about what Doug Armstrong has been doing in the past week or so, basically locking up all of his upcoming free agents except for Petrangelo. It's confusing. I think we're back to the uh, wondering what kind of logic the NHL GMs are using again. Um, Yeah, it's, I work as a civil engineer and you don't start decorating the first floor of a building before you've even designed the rest of the building floors whatever, two through 30. And it feels like that's what he's been doing. He's been kind of fluffing around the edges and putting in chairs and hanging up pictures on the first floor and not actually dealing with the main structure, which if you are serious about bringing your captain back and one of your best players, one of the main reasons why you won a cup in the last year, then you would think he would be the first priority. You would think they would leave a certain amount of cap space allotted to him and say to everybody else, yeah, we're leaving this aside for 
Pietrangelo and you wouldn't end up seeing those contracts to Justin Falk for more than he's worth or whoever else that they've kind of re-signed in the meantime. I think they've done a good job with their depth forwards, but uh, I think it's the defense contracts with Falk and Scandella that uh, really kind of made me wonder if Petrangelo hasn't already been clear to the Blues that he's leaving because at this point that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Yeah, where I kind of landed on it, and I'll I'll get to Scandella, but I mean, I basically, once they started filling out all those contracts, and I think they're up to over $77 million committed without having the defenseman done locked up or Petrangelo. And... I basically, as soon as that Scandella contract came through, I predicted that Alex Steen was going to hit Cap Friendly's popular buyouts table on their homepage, and he landed there in about three days because that's an obvious solution for them to clear out the room that they need for a, a bigger gun. But in terms of Scandella, I don't like it, but I kind of get where they're coming from. He mm-hmm. he was good in the 11 games that they had him for. And he basically filled the Bowmeister slot, both in terms of his position in the lineup, as well as in the cap hit that they gave him. And I think, like, I think they would have been much better advised to consider the opportunity cost of what a cheaper player might have been available in the summer and could they have even gotten a better player for cheaper but they're also dealing with the realities of this pandemic situation and we're seeing it in the NFL where guys that they can't get in to do the medical on they don't know whether they can invest in those guys long-term. So there's some superstars out there like Cam Newton who can't get a contract. And there's some guys who have had contracts canceled because they, they weren't able to get a good enough medical and Scandella to acquire him at the trade deadline, he would have had to clear a good medical. So they know what they're dealing with, with Scandella. So he's a guy I guess like he's 30 years old, but they probably feel better about investing in him than they do about someone who they may not be able to get their hands on at any other point. I I don't necessarily completely agree with the rationale, but I think I see where they think that they're being risk averse. Yeah, I I can definitely get on board with that kind of, they have a comfort level with him that it makes a lot more sense to go with the guy they know rather than the unknown quantity. I just don't think it makes four years sense. It never does. (laughs) (laughs) No question. So what do you think happens to the restricted free agents? Are teams going to, 
think short term and try to kick the can down the road and and really go for some low cap hit deals like it looks like the blue jackets did that with their goaltending tandem of Jonas Corposalo and Elvis Merzlikens yeah they were they were some good contracts for the goalie tandem they weren't uh, exactly allotted how I would have expected I would have guessed uh, closer to 50-50 split or maybe something even leaning uh, Corpus Allo's way, but I think it made sense for both of the goalies and for Columbus to kind of go shorter term in that instance. The guy for the Blue Jackets that I'm really interested in is uh, Dubois, and because he's somebody that has shown the upward trajectory and they know what he's going to be, they know he's their first line center, so there shouldn't be a reason that he doesn't get the big contract for a long term right now I think they have the cap space to be able to do it as well yeah they are looking at puddles of cap space like they couldn't give it to anyone last summer except (laughs) Gus Nyquist yeah again four years too long (laughs) so yeah building off of that I think Dubois is one of the ones that I would definitely expect a longer term deal for but uh, and likely Barzal as well in a similar situation with the Islanders. But uh, it's the other set of guys, the Sergachevs, the Olofsons, the Chernaks and Sorellis. The that, Ethan Bears, come on, give me some Oilers love. Ethan Bears, he's definitely in the group. He showed well, he showed well. And you don't really know what, uh, what to expect from that group. We might see some similar uh, kind of three-year deals with the last year bumping up the value of the qualifying offer at the end of it, similar to the, what Timo Meyer and uh, Zach Wierenski did. Those were the two names on the tip of my tongue. And I, I could see that becoming a very frequent occurrence this offseason because it kicks the can down the road it guarantees some bigger money in future years and it doesn't lock in either the player or the team at a term that they're dealing with for a smaller cap hit and do you think that means that there's a significant advantage for teams that have the cap space to spend a little more and and gun for that roman yossi-esque long-term cap option there might be um i don't know if there really is a roman yossi player maybe that's sergachev but that being said tampa usually does well by their restricted free agents giving them a bridge deal before they lock them up to a solid contract anyway so yeah i think vasilevsky is the only guy who bucked that trend or did he get a bridge as well he, he got a bridge. He was at three and a half for a couple of years. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, they, they, they just bridge all their guys. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's quite the powerful stick for them to wield. Yeah, if, if it's good enough for Kucherov and Stamkos and Point, then it better be good enough for you. So I, I wouldn't be expecting long-term deals for Sergachev, Sorelli, Chernak, or whatever other kind of younger guys they have coming up in the near future yeah so 
having a little bit of a better idea of what we might be looking at going into expansion i think i think there's still a lot to be sorted out but mm -hmm. do you think i can quiz you on some of the 10 most intriguing exposure slash protection situations going into the expansion draft for sure so the first team that popped out to me was carolina and correct me if i'm wrong but it looks like you were suggesting that they could trade jake bean to save themselves from losing a quality veteran but i wonder if this front office isn't too smart to lose two assets instead of one it really depends how carolina wants to approach it they're going to lose a good player no matter what. They have too many forwards and too many defensemen to be able to go about it any other way. Um, what I was thinking was that having a set of defensemen that are solid right now, you might not want to mess with that. And they paid a premium to be able to bring in Vatanen and Hamilton and Brady Shea they've locked up Pesci and Slavin long term so they're pretty set there and then on forward the no movement clause to Jordan Stahl really kind of throws a wrench in it so behind Stahl, Aho, Teravainen, Trocek, Svechnikov you've got way too many players overall to protect you can go in knowing yeah, we're just going to lose one of them. But uh, I, I could see them getting a little greedy and deciding we'll just we'll deal Jake Bean. We'll try and uh, kind of pick our own fate here and go forward from there. It was, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Ron Francis that was still with Carolina when they went through the Vegas draft. So I'm wondering if they might end up not really uh, – I, I could see them still falling into the same trap that a few teams did with Vegas. Yeah, Francis was still with the Hurricanes when they went through the expansion draft process. So – he's he's got experience on both ends of it after this and well i'll tell you where i landed on sure for protections with them i landed on going four defensemen with slavin hamilton pesci and bean and then just four forwards up front with aho stall on the no movement clause Teravainen and Svechnikov, which basically leaves a whole pile of kind of tasty options. Most standing out from the bunch, probably Trocek and Shea, but Trocek's only got a year left. So I don't think they're going to be that shook about it. They didn't pay that much to get him. I think Vatnin's already on an expiring contract, so he might not even be with them next year. And then Shea... Shea would probably be the guy that would hurt to lose, but I think the big reason that they went after him was to help them now. 
because Gardner didn't turn out as well as they would have liked and they had the cash mm -hmm. space to spend. So getting a contract like his off the books when a guy like Bean is probably ready to step in on a cheaper contract could actually work out well for them. Yeah, and I think that's a similar kind of result that I ended up with in my articles was I ended up having Trocek being the one selected. So I, I think we agree on that uh, in general, whether it's a slightly different thought train to get there. It's going to be interesting to see how they approach it, though. Yeah, they're, they're losing someone good for sure. And if they don't, it's because they give up a first-round pick so that they get Niederreiter or Gardner off the books. Mm -hmm. uh, so the next team that popped up for me was Florida. And, I mean, you mentioned that there were too many options to pick from. But basically what I want to know is how are the Panthers going to galaxy brain this expansion draft? I think it really depends on if they bring back Mike Hoffman and Evgeny Dadunov this summer. <clears throat> it's because uh, they have their one goalie. They can pretty easily protect Ekblad, Yandel, and Matheson on the back end and not be too upset losing, whether it be Wegar or Stillman or somebody in that vein. So it really comes down to the forwards in my mind. And if you're only bringing back one of Hoffman or Dadanov, then maybe you can make it so you're just losing a Noel Achari or an Eric Halla. Halla might be tempting if he does get re-signed by Florida, might be tempting to an expansion team uh, in Seattle. Having well, he was last time already. in Vegas. And he did well in Vegas. So I, I could see him being... Uh, somebody that would peak the ears of peak the interest of uh, Ron Francis. So here's my best guess at how the Panthers are going to galaxy brain this. Mm -hmm. I think that they trade Frank Vetrano to Seattle to convince them to take Brett Connolly so that they can protect Anton Strauman. This is sounding eerily familiar to the last draft. <laughs> so oh, are you okay. saying that uh, two years from now, Connolly and Vitrano are both going to score about 70 points? Yeah, it's, it's going to be obscene what they do in the Pacific Northwest. Pick them high. Yeah, I, I, could, uh, I could see getting in on them ahead of time before they end up going to Vegas or if it ends up being uh, Hendrik Borgstrom could be a, an interesting, slightly younger name that might fit that. Uh, yeah, he fit, he well. fits the mold. That's the word I was looking for. I was also interested. You had the Islanders exposing Kiefer Bellows. And when I was going through the process, I initially had him, but then I second guessed myself. Because by all accounts, he was actually really good in the AHL this year. He scored 22 goals, only 31 points in 54 games. But he was also the leading scorer on what turns out to be just an absolutely terrible Bridgeport team. 
and mm-hmm. he even earned himself a, a short little call up got his first nhl goal i believe and i can't see lou being interested in paying for expansion draft considerations or anything like that but I'm with you on that. but i could see him exposing a guy like everlay and just saying fill your boots yeah I, I could see that uh, approach to it, maybe expose Everly and or Josh Bailey. But uh, I think the other consideration is also trying to read Lou Lamorello's mind here is he probably doesn't have too many years left as an NHL GM and seems very much so to be a want-to-be-done-for-me-lately kind of guy. And the guys in the AHL haven't done much to win the Islanders games recently. So I think that's where I was leaning a little bit towards protecting Everly and Bailey, who might not have had excellent seasons, but they were still respectable anyways. And they know Trotz's system. They've done well with it so far. So, Yeah, you may prove right on that. That wasn't, wasn't, a huge one for me, but I just, I guess I just wanted to shout out Bellows who probably is still has a bit of that bust stink on him, but he's only 21. So there's, yeah, there's, there's time for him. Like there. Uh, also with the Rangers, I think they've got a lot to like for Mm -hmm. an expansion team to try to acquire because basically the Rangers have been acting like an expansion team for the past few years, just (laughs) scooping up distressed assets to the point that they've got a whole bunch of interesting young guys. And I think you had Julian Gauthier as the pick, but I ended up protecting him because I'm just, I'm a fan. Okay. I'd be curious to hear who you left off then. Yeah, so that left Brett Howden, Brendan Lemieux, Leas Anderson, and Ryan Lindgren as probably the most intriguing options that were exposed. And I'm not married to this decision, so I'm wondering if you can convince me otherwise. I I don't think I can convince you otherwise. I've been flip-flopping between whether it makes the most sense to protect... Anderson or Brennan Lemieux or Julian Gauthier on forward. Um, I did have Ryan Lindgren as the third defenseman protected. I'm assuming you had uh, Libor Hadjik as the other one. Yeah, I cannot remember who else I had being protected there, to be honest. But, uh, like, I think with Leas Anderson, he's almost guaranteed to be traded by the Rangers in the next year. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's much concern. Like, I know he was a top 10 pick, but at this point, I could see him getting drafted by Seattle, and he ends up being the Griffin Reinhardt of that expansion draft. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that as well. I think if... Brendan Lemieux is left exposed. He would be a great pick for Seattle. Kind of bringing him in, doing a little bit of what Ryan Reeves and or Will Carrier have done for their bottom line, just bringing the sandpaper, making them a a much tougher team to play against. And for somebody 
like Seattle that may not have the same kind of excellent start that Vegas did, then a little bit of sandpaper might be exactly what they're looking to do in their first year or two. Yeah, I I can see that. There, it's certainly a, a bunch of intriguing options as as we kind of teased off the top. Uh, Philly, I landed on JVR, Gostas Bear, and Samurai as as the most intriguing exposure options as well. And I guess that probably changes if we find out more about the the unfortunate health situations with Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom. But I I don't think anyone, including the Flyers organization, wants to see those guys end up as uh, exposure options. So we'll move on from that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you were leaning in the JBR direction. That's what I had down as well. Uh, I think he just made sense as somebody that needs a little bit more exposure and could get that in Seattle. He hasn't had that in Philly, uh, kind of missing the top top line, top power play, and would be somebody that uh, Philly wouldn't mind getting off the books, being 30 years old at $7 million and Seattle taking a chance on him kind of finding his game again on the first line. I think he made sense both ways for that. Yeah. And I'm a noted ghost bear fanboy, So I was leaning towards him as the choice, but JVR right. certainly would make some sense. And I could see Philly being the type of team that would be like, here's a third round pick. <laughs> and they get, kind of their choice of of who comes off the books for them. With Tampa Bay, you had Eric Chernak exposed. And I'm wondering if they would risk leaving McDonough available. They certainly could. It really depends. I think I figured that Tampa was in a bit more of a win now mode. So you end up with McDonough being somebody that's a big part of that, but uh, it's not like Chernick hasn't uh, been a big part of what they've been doing the last season or two. So I I could see it making sense either way. Uh, I think just on name value, I was protecting Ryan McDonough, but it's not like I'm not a big fan of Eric Chernick. I think he would be an excellent get for Seattle if they could manage to sneak him out yeah and I agree with you on 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 both fronts there which is why when I did my list I ended up actually going with four defensemen protected Mm -hmm. and four forwards so I kept Hedman, Sergachev, McDonough and Chernak and then I only protected Kucherov, Stamkos, Point and Sorelli with the logic that I think they're probably going to end up losing two of their mid-tier priced veteran forwards and probably one of them this summer. So like, I think this ends with one of Gord, Palat, Johnson, or Kalorn getting traded before next season. 
and then they probably give up a pick to Seattle to convince them to take one of the other guys that's remaining. I, I could definitely see that making some sense, though I'm wondering uh, what your reasoning is for why one of them is going to get traded uh, within the next year. Just because of the potential for a cap crunch and they are going to have to deal with new contracts for Sorelli and Sergachev, who even if they go with their their vaunted bridge contract, they're still going to be right up against the cap. And mm-hmm. they've got guys have already been pushing those guys down the, the pecking order. Yeah, that, that definitely does make some sense. Uh, it's tough to see them leave so many good forwards open, but I guess if they just go with the go into it knowing that we're going to lose one forward and there's not much we can do about it, we'll just take the hit and move on from there. They definitely do have the depth to back it up and keep going, uh, probably not even missing a beat. So it's definitely an interesting theory and keeping their top four defense would, would certainly help them kind of keep the ship straight and keep it moving forward. Yeah. So I, like I landed on, I really think they're going to trade Kalorn this summer just because of Mm -hmm. the no trade situation. Like he's got a full no trade right now, but it turns into a 16 team no trade this summer so they've got a lot of flexibility there and his contract isn't so onerous that a team couldn't fit it in and then the rest of the guys have full no trade clauses so if they are going to trade one this summer it it probably ends up being Kalorn just because of that and then I think that in the expansion draft they probably turn to Tyler Johnson who's developed into he's becoming more and more sheltered and he's he's no longer playing center so his role is really being diminished there and he also just happens to be from Spokane Washington in the Pacific Northwest so he might enjoy a return there I had actually looked into that as well uh which NHL players were from out there after England had been selected by Vegas and there's there's not many and he's probably the best option to end up being selected in the draft I think the other big names were TJ Oshie and Tyler Yamamoto but they're both likely to be protected so Tyler Johnson might be Seattle's best chance to have that kind of homegrown uh, hometown name there yeah and uh, as it turns out England was a wonderful spokesperson for the Vegas franchise and a leader in that community. So it worked out phenomenally for them. And how could you not want to try to play a little copycat with that? With the Calgary Flames, you ended up with Yuso Valimaki exposed. And we, we discussed this a bit on Twitter. I think his injury situation probably could end up with him being exempt from this draft, which I think would be a coup for them, but they're ultimately going to end up losing someone pretty good. 
I just, I can't see them leaving Valimaki open if he were available. But even if he's not, I think it ends up being someone else. Yeah, they're they're a good deep team. So they're another one like Carolina, like Tampa, that's going to have to leave a good player exposed. And whether it ends up being Valimaki or another defenseman like Kylington or something along those lines, or if it ends up being a forward, whether it's Bennett or Jankowski or Mangia Payne, who's had a very good season this past year, looks to be on a very solid upward trend. It's going to be an interesting situation. I'm not sure whether that lost season does end up having an impact on him losing that uh, year and possibly getting exemption status from the draft. Uh, if he doesn't, then that's going to be a really interesting one to watch because like Tampa, they don't, or unlike Tampa, they don't really have the option to protect the 4D and leave a top forward open because they really won't want to lose one of Tuchuk, Gaudreau, Monaghan, or Lindholm because they have to keep Milan Lucic with the no movement clause. That yeah, is, and I think I think they have enough forward talent that even if they were able to compliance bio Lucic or waive Lucic's no move clause that they're, they're still going to expose someone good. I think it ends up with them giving up a pick for expansion considerations and losing Sam Bennett. Uh, I could see something along those lines as well. Moving to Vancouver, you had, Jake Vertanen exposed and I'm curious how you came to that one because he was a no-brainer to protect for me but maybe you're thinking they re-sign Tyler Toffoli. Uh, I was assuming that Tyler Toffoli got re-signed. I think yeah he he fit in well with the team and I think they find a way to kind of make the money work with bringing him back. So that kind of muddied the water a bit in terms of who might be left available. Um, I could definitely be convinced that Jake Vertanen is the one to be kept over Tanner Pearson. Um, I probably don't watch enough Vancouver games and that might just be a bit of an East coast bias that I don't fully know the intricacies of which player would be the better keep there. But uh it just seemed to me like Tanner Pearson was playing a bit more of an important role with the team this year. So he was kind of the one to be kept rather than uh, Jake Vertanen. And I think I had Adam Goodet as well on my list, just being such a young player and being their main bit of center depth behind the top guys that he was a very important part to make sure they kept as well. Yeah, I thought Godet was was a no-brainer to keep as well. But certainly, I think Vertanen, just, just being younger, like I think Pearson's already in his 30s now. And he's, while he's on a he's nice contract, yeah, he, he doesn't have too many years left on that, whereas Vertanen could be a guy who sticks with the team a lot longer and has a lot more tread on the tires. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what eventually comes of that situation. 
because yeah, if they do re-sign Tyler to Foley, then they're kind of signaling their commitment to that player, even though a- another guy who, who broke in at the same time has Pearson, who I wouldn't necessarily want to invest long-term in. Edmonton, you had Caleb Jones exposed and maybe I'm a, a huge homer or maybe I just galaxy brain this situation, but I ended up protecting four defensemen with Clefbaum, Nurse, Bear, and Jones, and then only keeping the four forwards, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, and Yamamoto, because I figured the rest of the forwards, they're going to lose a talented player. So none of the remaining guys are guys who really drive things on their own and can't, they can afford to lose them. I, I could definitely see that being a, a direction that Edmonton might go. I think if that was the set of players available, then I'm, well, assuming Jesse Pugliarvi gets traded somewhere in the next year, then with the rest of the guys available, I think I'm just grabbing Zach Cassian and making him the Ryan Reeves of Seattle. But I, I could definitely see a situation where you do keep Bear and Jones protected and just make the make them pick from a forward. Yeah, and like Andreas Athanasiu, I left him available as well as Tyler Benson, and you mentioned Cassian. And we'll see if Athanasiu has a better go-around in a full season with the Oilers mm-hmm. if he proves that he can get back to – that 30 goal level and if he can improve his two-way play and look like a real core piece then that changes the conversation for the Oilers but right now I really like the flexibility and, and the nice cheap contract that Jones has and I hate to lose him because I think he's trending upward. <laughs> I, I could definitely see that and as one of the few people that was uh parading that Nashville would likely keep Callie Yarncrock and leave James Neal exposed in the Vegas draft as somebody who follows the Oilers. I think I'm ready to defer to your opinion on this. Yeah, James Neal, they would love to get rid of him. He, I mean, he's filled in better than Lucic had, but uh, I don't think they would mind unloading his contract. No, absolutely not. Like if they're, he's on the verge of getting bought out, mm-hmm. even if there isn't a compliance buyout because they don't really have much wiggle room. And outside of that early season scoring binge, which was almost entirely power play driven, he really hasn't done much. Yeah. If Edmonton was to have a compliance buyout to use, what do you think they would do with it? Oh, it instantly see Neil off the books. That makes sense. You're not ready to have him around for another two years and hope for a few more power play markers? No, absolutely not. Because, I mean, they've already... He was getting replaced half the time by Alex Chason. And they've got other guys who could potentially come along and fill that role 
in a much more effective manner. Like certainly Neil, he can he could still put it in the net from the net front, but the Oilers have proven for the last couple of years that McDavid plus Drysidle equals one of the best power plays in the league. And whomever they put in that spot is probably going to be effective. Not to take away again from from the skill that it does take to score goals in that area. I just <laughs> think that that is not something you want to overpay for when the guys who are driving the bus are already making 20 million a year. Makes a lot of sense. So last one here in Minnesota, you had Jordan Greenway exposed and the wild to me are just weird because Mm -hmm. they did horribly in the 2017 expansion draft with Vegas, giving up not one, but two players. And I mean, ultimately both their GM and their coach are gone from that situation, but somehow they've still been competitive, which leaves them with another situation of, of tough decisions in this latest round of expansion. So I'm assuming you, you protected four defensemen. And then I'm wondering after Parise, Zuccarello and Fiala, which young forward did you protect? I think if you're going for defensemen with the addition of Parise, Zuccarello and Fiala, then Luke Cunnan is the last forward to be listed. I think the other option is to look at the UFA status of Jonas Brodeen and maybe try to not sign him, sneak him through, and then sign him as a free agent on the other side of the draft. And that way they can protect another few forwards. Um, But even with that, you still might end up having, uh, whether it's Greenway or somebody else, you still have a few interesting options at forward and you run the risk of Brody and leaving whether it be through the Seattle draft or whether it be through free agency. So I think for that article, I had Greenway being selected. I did go four and four and I went uh, with Conan though reviewing it recently. I'm wondering if they don't try and, kind of find a way around that to protect a few extra forwards and sneak Brodine through. Yeah, they'll probably make another dumb expansion draft trade. I, I'm curious what your galaxy brain version of this one is. I, you know, I don't have one, but if I were to guess, they probably end up trading a first round pick in order to keep an additional defenseman and I do think that they end up keeping Brodeen I think they give him a pile of money this summer to extend him beforehand because he arguably is now their best defenseman and he's one of the best defensive defensemen in the league and they 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 certainly would not still be a, a feisty contender if they lost him I'm with you on that. I might put uh, Spurgeon a little bit ahead of Brodeen, but the general thought train there I'm on board with. 
I could see them uh, making a deal involving uh, Kaprizov just because he's a bit of an unknown quantity. Maybe they decide he's less valuable than the first round pick, similar to what Alex Tuck was for the Vegas draft. But Kaprizov is now finally available, and they like I think the owners even been making trips over to Russia to talk to him, and I think he's he's finally coming over. So I don't think there's a chance they get rid of him unless they literally cannot sign him. At which point, like, oh man, they, it's desperate times because they really need him to inject some some young talent into their system. Yeah. I think I'm a little skeptical of it. Maybe I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, I, I'm pretty high on him, but you know, we we won't know until we know. Um, a couple of non-expansion questions, and then I'll let you go here, Alex. Sure. What did you think about the proposals coming out uh, rewarding teams that? traded for rentals at the deadline with compensatory picks? I, I can't say I've looked too far into any of those proposals, but I think if there isn't any kind of summer hockey in order to award the Stanley Cup, then you need to find some kind of balance there, whether it's... Uh, yeah, I'm not even sure how I would go about even starting to plan that out, but maybe something with half the value of whatever futures you gave up for it. So if you gave up a first round pick, you get a compensatory pick at the end of the second round or something along those lines. Well, uh, just to give you an idea, like back in the 90s, if a first round pick didn't come to terms on a contract and, and re-entered the draft, the team would get a second round pick in the middle of the draft. Yeah. And if that's the framework that people are looking at, then that could definitely make some sense. It, but, it's a uh, tough situation. Yeah. See my initial reaction and it kind of remains my reaction mm. is get fucked. You you took a swing and then yep. shit happens. The Canucks, they traded for Tyler Toffoli and they weren't even guaranteed a playoff spot. So there's no guarantee they lost out on anything if yep. there's no season played. You take chances and we kind of all know that the playoffs are a crapshoot as it is. So sorry like that was part of the risk that you took in making that decision and now don't the Tampa Bay Lightning look so smart for going after these guys with two years because now they're at least guaranteed one run with the guys they picked up at the deadline whereas yeah sorry like you swung and you hit a grounder to short yeah. Yeah, it can only work out for one team in the end. So it, it does make some sense to kind of just say, let's not make this more complicated than it has to be. You aren't getting anything for 
what you gave up. You gave up a piece for what you thought helped your team at the time and nobody forced you to make the deal. So <clears throat> it is what it is. Yeah, unless their owner forced them to make the deal. <laughs> In which case, too bad to your owner. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and speaking of, of making things more complicated, have you heard about the NHL really pushing to hold their draft in early June? I have, and I don't like it. My big concern with it is like, it's basically a month away. And we still don't have enough information on what a future season, like playing out the rest of this season would look like. So until you can figure out what that is going to be, I don't know how you hold an, en an entry draft. But if they can have that all set in stone by early June, then I don't see any reason why they couldn't have the draft then. But you've got to have it figured out by then, and I don't think we're going to have enough information in order to be able to do that. Yeah, I, I think it's the uncertainty of the situation that makes it so tough to plan for the end of June, that this is something, doing it remotely, doing it without uh, a completed season that you need a lot of time to plan for. And you need to have that flexibility with it. And it takes away something from making your best effort to finish the season. And that's part of why you try to finish the season is to figure out where teams finish in the standings and how they stack up at the end of the year, which is really how you end up determining a large portion of the draft order. So there's a lot of layers to it in terms of why it just ends up being a lot more complicated to try and hold at the end of June. On the flip side, I do understand that there are a lot of reasons that you want to keep it in the early summer you don't want to affect the prospects as much as possible. You want to allow for uh, as normal of an off season as possible in terms of timing and dealing with contracts, dealing with kind of preparation for the new season. So it's not an easy decision and it's not something that has an obvious uh, larger benefit on one side or the other it's going to be complicated no matter what. I just feel like they're adding undue pressure by trying to force it for the end of June at this point. But then again, when has the NHL rushing something ever led to negative consequences? Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that the, just thinking of all the consequences and everything that has to be sorted out with it, it hurts my brain. So my initial reaction is ah, ah, don't do it. But I don't know, like, ha have you been watching the remote draft in the NFL that's taking place right now? I, I don't follow enough any NFL to really have been following along with it. I'm seeing whatever bits and pieces kind of pop up on my Twitter feed, but that's about the extent of the attention I've been paying to it. So for the first round and i think it might be taking place for the whole draft they've had the commissioner 
essentially playing MC for the whole draft. So usually in the draft, you know, the commissioner announces who's coming up next, but like Roger Goodell is doing so much heavy lifting on this telecast. Like it's basically like they've got all these analysts jumping in between picks, but it's mostly just Goodell for half the telecast. And he's so wooden and he's trying to like show emotion and connect with people. And it's awesome, unintentional comedy. <laughs> and I'm curious to see if the NHL is watching this and if Gary Bettman wants to put himself under that sort of spotlight or would he back away from it and put one of his lackeys in there? And if he does go under that spotlight, does he do an even better job with it or does it go horribly for him? I I feel like Gary Bettman has done an excellent job owning up to his reputation and just accepting it and playing along. And I would love to see him in that kind of situation. I feel like he would do a great job managing that kind of uh, setting. So uh, I could see it working for the NHL if they want to go with a similar kind of layout. In this way, anyway, they are lucky to have Gary Bettman that he can laugh at himself and maybe show a sliver of personality. Yeah, well, it's really interesting because in the NFL, the fans do the same thing at the draft that the NHL fans do. They, They boo the commissioner. Mm-hmm. And so they try to remotely keep that tradition going. So they had like every fan base gets to like kind of have 30 representatives show up on Zoom or whatever. And they're in the background on this screen behind <laughs> Roger Goodell for every pick. But before the draft even started, they like had these fans zooming in and he's like trying to egg them on to boo him. And it was so bad it was so (laughs) awkward and like it didn't seem earnest at all it seemed like he was like yeah like this is the thing that you guys like to do but I don't like it but everyone told me that I need to lean into this so here I go and yeah it was it was super awkward there have been other (laughs) hilarious moments frankly like they showed one of the GMs in his, I guess, like his living room. And he's got like his kids behind him or something like that. They're dressed all funky. But then in the background, someone has the bathroom door open and they're sitting on the can taking a shit. And it was on live television, the only sporting event going on. So I I don't even know how many millions of people saw this dude just sitting on the can but that happened and i want the nhl version of that i want every draft this summer to be done remotely so that we can get these unintentional comedy moments that sounds excellent i would also love to see somebody end up auto drafting uh martin marinson or something (laughs) right get your computer disconnected oh too bad you've auto drafted the uh guy who doesn't actually exist in the system 
no doubt. Alex, this uh, this was very informative. What what do you have going on? What what can you plug for the folks? Really, I'm just uh, putting out my weekly articles in the meantime, and if there's something that you or anybody else uh, wants to get me to take a look at or dive into, then I'm happy to. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Alex D. McLean, McLean, M-A-C-L-E-A-N. And yeah, I'm around and I would love to jump back on with you, whether it's December or closer to June when we have a much better idea on the 2021 Seattle options. Or if you end up getting way too bored in your little lockdown, then if you want to just have another hockey chat, then I'm still around for that. Hey, that, that sounds like a plan, Alex. And you mentioned just bouncing around some ideas. Have you updated your free agent model for whenever we get free agency? Uh, I did a few weeks ago. And there was an article out with that. And with some of the free time, I've been tinkering with it since. Uh, I know there's some definite flaws in the system, but uh, looking at trying to iron out a few of those anyway. So trying to. And have you, have you taken a look back at what happened when we had the cap rollback in 2013? I haven't yet. I think just because we don't know exactly what the situation with the cap is going to be, but uh, it would definitely be something to look into, see what effect that had on contracts versus your usual July 1st kind of spending. It's a very good point. Okay. So we'll be on the lookout for that when we find out more information on what happens with the salary cap for next year. And they can find your work on dauberhockey.com. Again, Alex, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, Steve. All right, everyone, that's the show. Big stick tap to Alex McLean of Dauber Hockey, who writes a cap series. He was offering quite a few valuable insights for us this week, both on what we might be looking at in the salary cap world, as well as the fallout for the Seattle expansion draft. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. Please like, subscribe, wherever you're getting your podcasts. It really helps us out. And share with your friends. Okay, we'll be back with another episode next week.